And uh, all right, thanks again for hitting the download button. And welcome to the Voice Report. I'm coming to you from suburban Philadelphia, and it is exciting edition. It's March Madness here on the Voice Report. Among many events that we'll be covering over the next week or so, we'll be down in Atlantic City for the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference Tournament, as well as doing virtual for the Big East Tournament. We'll be covering Villanova, who will defend their Big East Championship against the winner of the Georgetown Marquette matchup this coming Wednesday, and the game's set for Villanova this Thursday at 12 noon. Among the tournaments, I certainly enjoy covering the Atlantic 10 Tournament, and this year... um, Certainly was different as we did not attend, and the A-10 finals will be played this week. No, it will not be in New York where we usually go. It will be held at the University of Dayton Arena. And of course, uh, it's always great uh, to get uh, some of your feedback, and we appreciate certainly uh, you uh, supporting us. And we want to thank all the guests that have joined us in the past 18 episodes. We are approaching uh, episode number 19, and I couldn't think of a better person, one of my uh, one of my favorite New Englanders, one of the toughest and hardest workers up and down the New England seaboard. His name is Tony Bergeron. He has just finished his second season as the associate. I believe he will be a head coach in the basketball world. He was a head basketball coach at Woodstock Academy and Commonwealth, and for almost 20-plus years, he worked at the legendary five-star basketball camp and I am pleased to welcome him right now, Coach Tony Bergeron. It is a pleasure to talk to you. How are you doing during this uh, difficult time? First of all, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Uh, I've been waiting to get on the show for years. I guess I had to work my way up. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, you know what? It, I'll tell you what. To be really honest with you, you know, this pandemic has been a horrible thing for the country and the world. So many lives lost, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it, it's just been crazy. You know, on how does it affect us in this basketball world? Well, you know, I guess basketball is a much smaller thing when you're thinking about the scope of this. Um, however, you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, I was a 20-plus year high school and prep school coach. You know, we deal with adversity. We deal with difficult things. We deal with interruptions and all of that. So I think I was probably a little bit more ready and capable and able of handling some of the twists and turns and things because I just didn't have that sense of what, like, all the perks of college basketball are. I wasn't all the way, you know, used to those. So, you know, having to practice, you know, not in one gym or – different weird times or anything like that you know those were easy adjustments for me yeah uh, you know like i said i i have had the opportunity of of working with you for the past probably 10 plus years i go back to the days when you were at woodstock and i want to get in with some of the players in, in the in during this uh 30 minute segment that we have and again it is march madness and you know right now for the first time ever the philly catholic league could could very well be in jeopardy. There was suppo- uh, rumored that the PCL was to be played at Cardo Harron, Philadelphia, on March 13th, but now they're saying that that could get possibly, it just may not happen, and they may just crowd a regular season champ, and that champ would be the Philly Catholic League because they have to start the States March 16th. New York has just opened up again. You know, we had, I had uh, R.J. Green and, and uh, from Iota Prep, 
and Isaiah Alexander from Stepanak, among many guests we had in that Steppelt uh, series. Uh, how impressed, my question is, how impressed are you by the way this season has, has been in the high school world, despite the ongoing pandemic? Well, again, being a 20-plus year high school coach and prep school coach, you know, I always have my eye on what these guys are doing, and so many of those people are my colleagues. And, you know, I coached in the PSAL in New York City, and I coached, you know, I guess Philly would say I wasn't in Philly, but I was at American Christian for a couple of years, and we were in Chester. So, you know, it's, it's in the region. And, uh, you know, end of the day, you know, being in the New England preps for years, you know, I keep an eye on what these guys are doing. And, you know, the fa- and my son is currently at a New England prep. So with that being said, I, you know, I certainly am rooting for these kids to be able to get out there and play. You know, they need it. They need the activity. You know, it's something that they're used to. And for some of these kids, you know, just being on the court, you know, that's a way to, one, be out of, you know, negative situations. Two, I think that motivates kids more, and I think it it really affects them academically. I have always thought that kids have always done better academically during season than not. Um, So, long story short, I I really just am rooting for all of these uh, state associations to play, the New England Preps to play, and I think the people in charge of all these major leagues have done a great job looking out for the kids and the fact yes. that they've got to play any game. I them. love the fact that our state and many other states have had to play with their masks on. I think that's the best way and safest way to do it because, let's be honest, I know that the CDC is now passing these new guidelines. It seems every day I hear a new guideline, which is as long as you're vaccinated, you don't have to like quarantine or you still have to socially distance. And you'll probably until because unfortunately, there's no such thing as a vaccine where it's let's take the shot and we're 100 percent good. And then we can go back to the old days where we don't have to worry about cleaning after ourselves and spraying and disinfecting everything. Unfortunately, This is just the way it goes, at least until further notice. But, you know, and New York did it. Um, I was there when I was there at the Stepanak game the other night. Uh, We are doing such a great job uh, in our little bubble. We are having teams travel to a limited uh, radius. Uh, West Town's been doing it. I I know you've been following up with, uh, with that. West Town will literally play different prep schools, or in this case, they'll play like They'll play their league, but then they'll have their own type of prep schools um, where they'll have uh, teams come down, but they'll make sure that you know everybody's going to wear a mask and they're going to make sure that everybody gets tested. It's pretty amazing what's been going on. Yeah, no question about it. And it's such trying times, but the fact that these people, you know, are thinking about the athletes and, and you know, what's best for the kids, you know, I love that. You know, it would be very simple to just discard it, you know, no sports. Let us worry about some other stuff, but they're not doing that. And those are the type of people that you want to work for and work with because those are the people who have the kids' uh, best interest in mind. You're um, yourself, I I remember the day you started at Woodstock Academy, and you've brought along some great young men. I would say there's about four kids at the University of Massachusetts. Uh, One of them is the leading scorer on the team, Trey Mitchell, six foot nine, uh, big man. Boy, he has been. He is certainly a presence to watch. You were a big reason why he decided to 
even though he was born in the Pens- here in Pennsylvania, but he did um, what what a job he did at, while you were there at the school. Now, did you ever? Now, you coached Trey would because uh, this is only your second year at UMass, but you had the honor of coaching him, right? I had Trey for uh, his junior and senior year in high school, both at. Wood- did you like him? Do I like him? No, I asked. I no, what I meant was, did I you like him. his game? Oh man, I, yeah. I, what? What I? I mean, he's an impossible guard in the post. He's got right hook, left hook, up and under. His footwork's phenomenal. He's quick for a big guy in the post. He shoots it like a shooting guard. He rebounds the ball, terrific. And you know, he'll tell you. That, you know, some kids hit their ceiling pretty early. You know, he's not even close. We keep adding and adding to his game. Um, the kid absolutely loves the weight room. And then again, people talk about his character. I mean, he was recruited by, you know, Yale and Harvard and, and Notre Dame. And, you know, the, the kid had elite level grades. I think he was like a 3 9, you know, 13 30 coming out of high school. I mean, you know, he's transitioned that pretty well at Massachusetts. The last time that I spoke to you, uh, you had just come out with a big win over LaSalle. Uh, I, I talked to you about this uh, last night, and I just remembered you telling me that, you know, and I, I, I remember even I texted you that day. I said, you know, congrats on the win, coach. I said, what do you, uh, I hope that at least you're going to be sticking around here in Philadelphia. He said, no, we're going back. We're driving back to Amherst right now. And I said, coach, don't do this. You're going to hurt yourself. Um, that has been. I mean, Trey has certainly, he was a big part of that. Has he trans, I mean, has he really done that since he arrived to the A-10? Well, you're talking about he averaged last year as a freshman uh, 17 and a half points and right. seven rebounds. And he shot 50% from the field and he was like 33% from three. Um, this year, it's been interesting. This year, he jumped up. He's almost 19 points a game. He's still at the seven rebounds. His three-point shooting percentage is over 37%. His field goal percentage is over 50%. He's putting up 19 points a game on 12 shots. It's, so, you know, he's taking 12 shots a game. So you've, and you've gotten to know him really better, being that you coached him his junior and senior year, and now here you are at UMass you're coaching him, uh, you know, his freshman and sophomore year. So really, it's safe to say, what ha- what have you learned from him in the past four years? That he just wants to continue to be pushed. He doesn't want me to settle. He doesn't want me to celebrate where he is. You know, he wants every opportunity to be a pro, and uh, and he's going to put in every ounce of work necessary to reach his potential. Is he a pro? Yeah, there's no, he's a millionaire. You know, I told him that when he was 16 years old. You're a millionaire. The, the question is, what country are you going to do it in? And, uh, you know, he always tells me, I like this country. So his goal is to play in the NBA, and his game uh, is very, very different. So, you know, I always tell people this. He's not a kid that, you know, 30 NBA teams are going to like and be interested in. He's a kid that, you know, four to six will see his value, understand how to use him, you know, um, you know, like for you know, you, you put that kid with a San Antonio Spurs and a genius like a Popovich, and I, I think he's going to be very, very effective. 
you put him with a Brad Stevens at the Celtics, I, I think he'd be effective. There's a lot of places with terrific coaches that I think would understand what he's capable of doing and, and he could be effective with. Wow. No, that's that's pretty amazing. I've always been fascinated with, and I, I mean, I've been a fan of the sport most of my life, and I, I've always been fascinated with the stories of the five-star basketball camp, and you were one of the many people that spent over 20 years, if not longer, at Five Star, where some of the great, you know, I was watching that uh, documentary last night on goats, and so many of them were five-star guys like Michael Jordan and Patrick Ewing and LeBron James and Kevin Durant. What was the buzz back then uh, if you were and went to Five Star? Well, before ABCD and Nike, and all of those, there was only five stars. So Howard Garfinkel just controlled the country. And you could hire college coaches to work. He had the market cornered. You had to come to camp because you wanted to play in front of the colleges, and there weren't any other camps. And AAU wasn't crazy then. So before me, you know, five star was bought, and there was nothing even close. AAU hit. They took the Division ones away from uh, working uh, camps, and then the landscape changed. Then we kind of, you know, we still had elite-level camps, but more we just dove into, you know, the teaching and things like that. But, yeah, I mean, 20 years for me, somewhere between 15 and 17 sessions or something. And, and, and you know, Howard Garfinkel, who – I had the chance to know, and, and you, you and I, and we love, and he, we love him, and certainly as I know you love him as much as I did. Uh, I know you probably knew him better than I did, but he ended up in the '80s selling his um, high school basketball uh, HSBI, which is considered the great scouting service that college coaches can buy online about high school kids, and he sold it. To a man we recently lost during this uh, pandemic, uh, the great Tom Kachowski. What was Tom Kachowski like uh, to you? I mean, Tom Kachowski is one of the greatest of all time when it comes to evaluating players. Um, he also had a mind like our today's computer. And, you know, end of the day, you know, I mean, he just made people feel really good about themselves. His memory is unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, he'll remember, you know, your wives, your kids, you know, uh, you know, games that you had 15 years before, you know, et cetera. It, it frightens me that when I would go to New York and I went to Dick's Nationals and I would see Tom because I know that he grew up, I, I think Forest Hills is right around the corner from Christ the King, if, if, if I recall. And so for him... It was easy for him to just hop on a hop on the train and to you know to get right to school. Tom would tell me, I, "Do you do you remember the uh, Donna uh, Albert C. Donna Frio tournament?" Of course. Yeah. So the one of the great basketball tournaments. Unfortunately, it, it, for the past two years, it's not happening because it it got canceled last year. And I got a, a memo saying that we're not. Just under the circumstances of of Donna Fr- of uh, COVID, we're just not going to have it. And Donna Frio has always been the epitome of the great Philly, Delaware state of Pennsylvania. 
It recently became higher with school or like uh, they would start bringing kids from Central PA. You know, we would have Lottie Walker and Chance Westry and uh, Taylor Funk was a recent one. Eli Brooks is competing for a national championship at Michigan. and But with Tom Kachowski, when you went to Queen, when I went to, to that tournament, to Dick's, he basically asked, what time is that game? It's like, are you going to be there at that game? The fact that he knew where I was going to be before I knew where I was going to be, that was Tom Kachowski. Tom Kachowski knew you before you knew yourself, it seemed. Yeah, there's no question about it. And and he like he could just rattle off information about you. And once you told him something, it was like, again, entering a computer and hitting speed. It never went anywhere. And, uh, you know, he stayed in his, you know, uh, lane, his circle. He had the places he would go every year, you know, whether it be, you know, in New York City, he was everywhere. You know, there's no question. Certainly the Catholic League and, you know, all of New York City and then West Chester. And then he'd make his runs into the New England preps and, you know, he'd get to a few there. And then, of yeah. course, you know, his Virginia crew, you know, the... the Chicago, he went to the store. city versus, yeah. yeah. I mean, everywhere you went... If you said the name Tom Kachowski, people would either say you're a fool if you don't know him or it's who doesn't know him. What person in society didn't know who he was? And do you think that Howard Garfinkel was such a big effect on him? I mean, I learned in two years that I knew him more in basketball than I've ever learned in my life. Howard Garfinkel really was the godfather of high school basketball. Yeah, he controlled basketball at every level from high school to college uh, in the 70s and 80s. Because he's, like I said, he was smart enough to corner the market. And the two of them fed off each other uh, very, very well. Unbelievably polar opposite people, you know, Garf and Tom. But, uh, you know, they were together and, and they, they could evaluate talent. And uh, I'll tell you one thing, though. Tom was a great talent evaluator. There's yes. no question about it. And Tom they, will tell you. The 80%. best. I'm right, I'm right 80% of the time. No, no. no he was right. He was right 100% of the time. That's the sad thing. He was right every time. And he, he and Garf worked so hard to make a five-star. Actually, there was a – what was that other – gentleman's name that worked i used to see him in pictures with garf all the time he was actually one of the controllers of five star well so to, so to go back to that let me just chime please, in please go ahead talent evaluated I, I thought what i was going to say is you know i think tom was great but there was nobody better than garf oh yeah garf yeah yeah ever missed he was great now uh going back to five star tom actually didn't Work, uh, Tom didn't own five stars. No. None of that. He, he was around. He'd work the New York sessions, and then he'd sometimes go to Virginia. Very little. The, the, his relationship with Garth, everybody thought that he had a lot more to do with the camp than Oh, he sure. The people who ran the camp were Will Klein and Howard Garth. Yes, that's who I was thinking of. Will Klein. And, Will, yeah. and is he still around, Will Klein? Will Klein is that, and that is my guy. I call, I refer to him as the big boss. Without the big boss, there would be no five star. Now Howard was the, the front of it. He was the face of the program. There's no question about it. He talked to the kids. He was the talent evaluator. He was the recruiter. He was the talent. He was. The whole thing would have crumbled without Will Klein. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he and and those and Will and and Garf were such influences on coaches like Hubie Brown, who would come along at what back when Hubie was coaching in the NBA. But I I understand that, and I've talked to Steve Donahue about this. Steve Donahue, I believe, both uh, worked there and was a camper there. Um, you think about so many different types of names that went through there, including John Calipari and, and Mike Shashevsky. It just, like you said, it just seemed Five Star was the place to be if you wanted to get recognized. And Cal even says in his documentary in the 30 for 30 that without Howard Garfinkel, he never would have gotten the opportunity to coach with Larry Brown at the University of Kansas. And then from there, of course, you know, the rest was history. And he was a great coach at, at where you're at now at UMass. I mean, like I, I, I forgot to even mention in my intro, and I, I, I should have done that, is UMass has had some of the great players from Julius Irving to Marcus Camby to Coach Cal, and, and, and certainly the list definitely uh, goes on. But a lot of that, like they said, I mean, Dick Vitale, even in his Hall of Fame speech, without Howard Garfinkel, I would never coach at Rutgers University. Without Howard Garfinkel, I would never be a college coach. I mean, this guy would go to bat for so many different people. Um, I'm going to assume he did the same for you. You know what? I'll be honest with you. For me, it was Will Klein and Lee Klein. I believe. Okay, that I believe. <laughs> they're, they're the ones who brought me in. They're the ones who got me up there. And then I worked along with Howard for, you know, a handful of years. But I had Howard toward the end stretch. As he was starting to get older, he couldn't go with many places. He could do less and less. So um, it was, you know, I ended up taking over as recruiting coordinator and program director. And then we ended up expanding the camp nationally. It's the one thing Howard wanted to just keep it, you know, the same. Honesdale, Pittsburgh, Virginia. But at the end of the day, you still got to make a living. Yeah. So long story short, we expanded it. We went to Florida and Texas, California, Chicago. And it ended up being great. We did it for a while, and finally the clients were like, listen, in this landscape, with the liability, having people's kids overnight, things like that, it's very difficult. So end of 2016, December 31st, they ended up selling the company that day and, um, you know, they got out of the camp business. So, you know, 20, uh, January 1, 2017, you know, five stars ceased to exist. Wow. I mean, like I said, I, I, for years, I've told stories about it. I've never personally been a part of it. Back then, when I was in high school, I, I got out of high school in 2003. I'm assuming by then, Five Star was sort of on its way out, despite the fact that you still had these big-time players like LeBron, and then eventually, I think the last big-time camper they had had was Kevin Durant. Um, it just seemed that if you wanted to go to five star, you really, I'd say between the eighties and and early nineties, is when five star was the place. Yeah, maybe I don't. You know, seventies it was. It, it, it cornered, oh, seventies too. Yeah, you know, gotcha. There's a market. There's no doubt. But we we ended up. I mean, we were still having all American till you know deep into the two thousands. I would say probably. 2015, 16, yeah. right in there. The last couple of years is when it was really the camp for the masses. And then we would have just special, uh, you know, places where we would have, like, the elite level. We call them super sessions. And 
that's where we'd get all the elite players, and we'd have everybody. You know, I mean, a bunch of the current NBA players are five-star campers, but we would have Super Session in Texas, Chicago, Florida, and New York. And and those were the elite sessions. And then everywhere else, it was, you know, it was five-star that, you know, the the camp where the teaching never stops. It was all about the teaching. So when you got into coaching as a head coach, and first of all, how long total were you actually a head coach? I know you coached at Commonwealth. And as I tell you all the time, you're the reason why Woodstock Academy has been following me on Twitter. And I say, there's only one person that's, you know, that that knows me at Woodstock because I, I really wouldn't know them from a hole in the ground. And that's my buddy Tony Bergeron because Tony controls the New England area. How long officially were you there, both schools? I was, uh, I was, well, I coached 19 years in high school. And uh, my fir- and real quick, 30 seconds, my first spot was uh, the McDuffie School. Yes. It was in Springfield, Mass. at the time. I yep. was there for three years, and we got into the top 20 in the country on the prep side. I left there. I took the job at Five Star in New York, and I took over coaching the Wings Academy, which is PSAL. New of York course, Academy. yes. Coach, yep. Coach- and you're from New York, is that correct, or are you from Massachusetts? No, I'm uh- I'm from Massachusetts. People think I'm from New York because I was in New York so many years. It's the accent. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm from Mass. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, Wings Academy, four years. We made, you know, USA Today Top 25 there. I left there. I came down to your area. I was at American Christian for two years. Uh, you know, I had Tyreek Evans. Yes, the crew. We you coached with Jason Hassan. In two years. If I remember, you coached yeah. with Jason Hassan. Jason Hassan was my assistant. Yep, and he's now a Calvert Hall in Baltimore. Yep. Yes. Yes, he is. Uh, yeah, Jason was. Uh, you know, Jason was great for me for a year down there, and uh, I ended up going back to Massachusetts when my dad got sick. I was a public school coach at Eastern for a couple of years. Then, then I started John Foley. I have a name of John Foley. Started a school called Commonwealth Academy. Yeah. I was there for five years, and we ended up finishing in the top five in the country two years in a row. And then I left there, Woodstock Academy wanted to kind of mimic the Commonwealth thing and start a prep uh, prep program. So I went there and started their prep program with them. And I was there for two years in Woodstock, and then I ended up at UMass. And and you've done a heck of a job as we kind of like go into the present now, working for a guy like Matt McCall who's had great experience. Now, here's what's interesting. He wasn't really a player at Florida he was a well. He was a walk on at Florida. And I think he was also a manager for at the time of Billy Donovan. And I've had this conversation with Matt a, a bunch of times. You know when he was there, when Joe Keem Noah and Al Horford and you know and uh, uh, hum, uh, uh, Humphreys and Corey Brewer and um, you know Tory and Green. It just what do you learn the most about a guy like Matt McCall? You know, it's hard to say. I mean, we're very, very different. You know, I'm from the city. I'm from Springfield, Mass. He's from Ocala, Florida. You know, so I think our just whole approach to life and existing is just opposite ends of the spectrum. So I think that's what kind of makes us work, you know, well. And, you know, at the end of the day, he's not from New England. So he didn't have, you know, many New England recruits. He certainly didn't know the landscape up here or whatever when he got here. He hired his staff, and I guess, you know, I don't know exactly what happened other than it didn't work out. So then the second go-around, I was involved, 
Uh, and, you know, there was opportunity to bring players there. You know, it was going to be, a, you know, UMass has always been my dream job. You know, when Matt McCall gave me a, a chance to go ahead and get to my dream school, so we were certainly going to take advantage of that. Which he, I, I will say this, he couldn't have given to a better to a better coach, and I've said this to you a bunch of times. I can't think of a guy who is more deserving in the college world than Tony Bergeron, because Tony Bergeron knows New England better than anybody. You know, again, you've been behind the scenes, you've been a head coach. It's pretty amazing. And this year's, uh, and over the past uh, two years that you've been there, what's been the uh, what's been the best part of this team? You've got at least four what's four of your players that are playing at your school now. Um, you know what can you say about the A ten? What what a great what a great conference it is. Yeah, no, a- excellent conference. I actually I actually have nine nine. Woodson. Gotcha, gotcha. Nine I knew it was kids. I, I recruited eleven eleven of our thirteen scholarship players. And, uh, you know, we're very young. Um, I think the Atlantic 10 is an awesome conference. I think you could get beat by anybody on any night. Yes. I don't care what the, you know. And the funny thing is, we probably have four or five teams every year good enough to be NCAA tournament teams. But it'll never happen because we just, like John Ross, you know, says the league just cannibalizes itself. We beat each other up silly. So, you know, it's, it's tough. But every single night. You are in a war. And the other thing I like about it is, you know, almost every team, I wouldn't say every team, but almost every team has a fringe NBA player on it that has a chance to play in the league. You got Trey Mitchell. That's definitely, to me, that's fringe enough. And I think that, you know, as I look at every team in the A-10, I mean, think about what we've had so thus far. I mean, our our two finalists that are playing next week, uh, have quite a few handful, if I'm correct. I think it is it. It's Saint Bonaventure and VCU for the championship, if I'm right. Correct. And you look at those two teams. Now I haven't seen Bonaventure at all this year, but we all know VCU every year. Mike does such a great job over there, and you know I, I got to give credit to Saint Bonaventure, um, who also is a fellow Boston guy, Mark Schmidt. Uh, Mark's got quite a few handful of of players. So you're right. It does seem like every year we've got at least three or four, if not five, NBA guys. Kellen Grady from Davidson has certainly uh, showed has shown that he will be in the NBA in the next couple of years. Santos Silva from VCU. Now I don't know if he. I don't think he's still there. I think he transferred or he gra- graduated. Excuse me. Yeah, he's at Texas Tech. Exactly. I, I thought that, but but you got to think about players that have gone to the A-10, many of whom have gone to play in the league. I, I Like I said, with if, if I didn't like the Big East so much, I, I probably, my second choice would have been the A-10. Uh, I think Bernadette McGlade does such an incredible job and has done a great job this year running this conference in a safe environment. Uh, I, I, I honestly believe that um, there are, I would never trade in, and I'm even more honored that uh, our city is the only conference that has two schools for the Big Five. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It 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 just like I said, and 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 I, as I've said before, I do congratulate you 
on the job that you've done. Uh, now, before we let you go, uh, this year's team. Well, first off, uh, if you wouldn't mind telling us uh, about that story uh, when you got uh, when you had that snowstorm in Philadelphia. We end up playing in, uh, we were this year at LaSalle, and, and uh, again, City of Philadelphia did a great job making it a safe place for us, testing everything. They were just, you know, rolled out the red carpet for us. It was great. I don't know what happened. We ended up playing the game. We ended up winning. We actually had a phenomenal basketball game. I Trey went bananas. Yeah. 31, 37, something like that. 37. We, we I remember that. We, we finished that, the game, and, you know, we got the food there waiting for us. Something, our bus had broken down. Yes. What happened with the bus? So they had to give us a replacement bus. So it wasn't snowing right after the game. Kids took showers. We were eating and waiting for the bus. If the bus had come there, we probably could have made some progress. What happened is, while we're waiting for the bus, about 90 minutes, it started snowing crazy. Then it, once the bus got there, it was a mess. Then we're like, you know what? We're going to start off driving. We started off driving, and it was not a great idea. No. Ended up making it a while. We get into Jersey, and like when it, when a big coach bus can't make it up a hill on a highway, you know it's a problem. So we called, you know, our, our admin at UMass. You know, they figured they pegged our location, found us a, a, a hotel, and we ended up having a stay overnight there. Next morning, we woke up, wait till the snow stopped. Drove the final three hours home. So it was uh, quite a trip. But no, no, and I, and I, I had texted win. you. I had texted you that day saying, "You're insane. You're crazy. You're going to hurt yourself. Don't do that. Stay here. I'll, I'll find us. Like I said, I'll find us a, a I'll find us a bar, a liquor store <laughs> down the. That's like down the road. You, you got the best mom and pop stores on Aldi." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was interesting. I mean, obviously, you always want to try to you know get yourself back home, but uh, you know, like I said, when, when all of us, the coaching staff, all sits in a bus together, as soon as it started getting like that, there wasn't any like uh, deliberation over it. it. Was basically you know rent us hotel rooms, let's get in there, shut down for the night, and we'll we'll get back at it the next day. And you had a great season again, and you made it all the way to the second round. I should say, actually, you made it all the way to the quarterfinals. You were defeated by VCU. Uh, all in all, what was the best part of this season? Yeah, we got uh, quarterfinals. We got beat St. Louis, actually. St. Louis, I'm sorry. St. Louis, that's right. St. Louis, it was. You know, you know, I would say this. Before I arrived, uh, UMass had got the 12 and the 13 seeds. Um, they were significantly under 500, and they were always playing on the Wednesday. Um, not this season, the COVID season, but the season before, you know, we made some strides. You know, we, we you know, the most wins they had had would have been five. We were like eight and ten. We were a super young team, and we ended up not having to play on the Wednesday. We would have opened up on the Thursday against BCU, and long story short of it, we were the eight seeds. So we made some improvements. People were excited. Obviously, the game never happened, COVID. This year, we ended up, for the first time in the McCall era, over 500. We got a five seed. Um, and, you know, we were in pretty good shape the whole entire year. And we had so many disruptions, we never got any flow to it. So I would say the progress. And the funny thing is we're still the youngest team in Atlantic 10, and we're 330th um, in the country. So, you know, we start two freshmen and two sophomores. 
of the day, you know, we got beat by St. Louis, but, you know, St. Louis had, you know, seniors that were also, you know, post-grads, you know, before they came there. So, we, you know, we, our 19, 18, 19, and 20-year-old kids were playing a lot of 22- and 23-year-olds. So, you know, I like how we sure. competed. Uh, those teams are terrific. And as we continue to age, I think that the trajectory is nothing but north. And I, I believe down the road that a head coaching spot could be open once again in the college world for a guy like you. Tony Bergeron, uh, we thank you for joining us here on March Madness edition of The Voice Report. A pleasure to see you as always. And I hope that in July you and I will be sitting together during the AAU season. I mean, quite frankly, as as I told you last night, I have to see my friends who are college coaches. It's it's part of my family, and, and I, I really, like I said, I think of you the same way as as I, I think of uh, the Big Five as, as, my, as my basketball family. I greatly appreciate that. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to come on. And, uh, you know, certainly stay safe down there. I look forward to the July open period and getting some time with you at FaceTime. That will definitely be great. Jake Schwartz again here on The Voice Report with Tony Bergeron, assistant coach of the University of Massachusetts.